all of my friends who have been living under a rock, let me let you know that there is political unrest in America. I'm sure you have heard about it, and more than likely you are tired of hearing about it. But this is the eve before Independence Day here in the States. And so I want to do a message talking a little bit about the political divide, but really my main goal here is to encourage the Christian community to engage more effectively as we take the Great Commission around the world, specifically here in the United States. It is so divisive and so hostile. I don't want you to hear this message as an American-centric message, as though the only thing that matters to me is the country in which I live. No, I'm a Christocentric Christian. I'm a bibliocentric Christian, but I also live in a country. And I'm called by God to be active where I am in converting as many as will hear about the gospel message of Jesus Christ. And, and Lord willing, it will bring change to individuals, to families, to communities, to nations. And so here we are on the eve of July the 4th, Independence Day in the United States. And I want to talk about how a great nation Falls. That is the title of the podcast. That's the title of the article on the website. You're welcome to go read this article. I would love for you to do that. I would love for you to share it with 1,000 of your closest friends. And I'd love for you to engage me about it as well. If you want to, I am here. My cyber home is rickthomas.net, and you can come to our cyber home anytime you want to. We are a 365-day-a-year shop. Someone is always available to serve you. We push our resources out in cyberspace, but we want to do more than that. We want to be an interactive ministry. We want to be a coaching site, if, if that's the term that you prefer. We want to be a come-alongside ministry that comes alongside the body of Christ and helps them and the situations that they find them, whether they find themselves, whether they are situational difficulties or relational problems, decisions that they're trying to make, we have been answering questions today on our forums. We'll, God willing, be answering questions tomorrow and the next day as well. By the way, this is July the 3rd, as I said, and this is the anniversary of our ministry. Ten years ago today, I sat down at a computer and I typed out a blog post. I don't remember the blog post. I think it is on our website. We've had so many iterations of our website. We're, we are five or six. Maybe we're going to make our six here in just a short period. We're working on that right now always trying to keep up with technology. It evolves by the day, literally. Technology is changing, and I spend as much time studying these technological changes, social media marketing uh, upgrades, as, as I do study in the Bible. It, it is a, it's really a lot of work to, to keep it going and to keep up with all that's happening within the industry. On the back end, I'm talking about the business side of ministry, and so we are on our fifth about our fifth iteration of this website with a new launch coming up soon, but it was July the 3rd, 2008. I sat down and banged down an article and did the same thing on July the 4th and the 5th and the 6th and the 7th, and for two years I wrote an article a day, and once we 
Got our cyber warehouse somewhat full with resources. I slowed down the pace, and and hopefully uh, there's an upgrade with the quality of our content. And then we have gone on to other things. Podcasting is one of those things. We decided a few years ago that we needed uh, to go audio in addition to the written word, and that has been a wonderful addition to our ministry. We do webinars And, of course, we have our forums, as I said earlier. So if you want to talk with me, you go on our website, get your username and password. Make sure you're logged in. You'll have to be logged in. Uh, We do have a reasonable amount of safety that we have to have to protect our community. And so if you get your username and password, log in. You can go to our free community forum. All that stuff's free. We are underwritten by our supporting community. Supporting members, thank you so much for supporting this ministry. It is kind. It is gracious of you. Uh, Thank you for valuing what we are doing. Ten years and running. I am excited about that. And now it's no longer me. We do have a team. There's seven or eight of us that work together daily doing various things in the ministry. And and you won't know it. Uh, A lot of it's backside stuff from someone running my Facebook page to a couple of people responding to emails that come in, a team of folks that are responding to uh, forum questions. Uh, We have uh, folks also working in our mastermind program, helping with our students. We have two ladies doing that as well. And so we're a a busy place by uh, the grace of God and the mercy of God. And I'm excited and I pray that he'll give us another 10 years in cyberspace. That would be a fantastic thing. So let us know how we can serve you. It would be a joy to do that. And by the way, a couple of weeks ago, I launched my first paperback book titled Change Me, the Ultimate Life Change Handbook. You can get that uh, paperback book on Amazon. There are links all over the place on our social media platforms, but if you can't find it, come to our website. There is links here and you can go right to Amazon or yeah all you have to do is just type four words into Amazon change me Rick Thomas change me Rick Thomas and that will get you it'll come up on the first page and you can order the book they will ship it to your door my sister-in-law told me today that she read the first three chapters as she was sitting at the DMV with her daughter getting her driver's license And so she redeemed the time, used the time in the best way that a person could use the time, reading my book. And she came home and said, it's really good that she enjoyed it, and she's not a flatterer. And so you take your cues from her and get it, Change Me, the Ultimate Life Change book. It's really the book that represents the heart of our ministry, transformation. That's what we are about We are a sanctification ministry, progressive sanctification, as we come alongside the body of Christ, helping them in the change process. And we've produced 20-something digital books, but we kept getting asked, hey, when are you going to put something in paperback? Well, it's easier asked than accomplished, uh, but by the grace of God, we were able to accomplish it. So now it's there and you're welcome to get it. Now, if you get this book and you read it, and if you like it, would you write a review on Amazon? The more reviews that are out there about the book, Amazon, they're friendly to, to that kind of thing. And, and they'll, they'll put it out there to more people. And that is the whole goal uh, for more people to read and hopefully not only bringing honor to God, but 
bringing honor to God through transformed lives, that people will read it and they will experience change. Well, let me talk about this article here. And if you want to read the article, the title of it, the title of the podcast, they are the same, How a Great Nation Falls. I want to share this with you. It's a short article, uh, short-form content, and so you're welcome to read it. You can read it quickly. And again, if you want to discuss it, let me know. But in America, as you probably know, there are two great, strong, vibrant, and a lot of times hostile demographics. Now, Christians make up both sides. I'm not saying that this is good versus evil or Christian versus non-Christian. There are Christians and non-Christians on the right and Christians and non-Christians on the left. And let me restate that I am not a an American-centered individual, but I do live in a country. This is the country that God has placed me. I am an American as far as my uh, life, my existence here on earth, and my call is to make my space uh, as uh, to influence my space as much as I possibly can with the message of Christ, and there, therefore. I, uh, I don't want to be passive. I can't be passive when it comes to the Great Commission. And so I want to begin with myself. I need to experience the Great Commission. Uh, to go into all the world, well, I am in the world, and I'm in the epicenter of it as far as I need to be converted to Christ first of all. And, and then after God regenerates me, I need to grow in grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And then I have a responsibility to the next most important person in my life, which is Lucia. I want to come alongside her and to help her, to influence her, to take the Great Commission, the gospel message to her. Now, she was converted before I met her, but I have a responsibility to aid her in her ongoing sanctification until she meets Jesus. And, of course, she has a responsibility to disciple me as well. And then the Lord has given Lucia, Rick and Lucia, three children, and so we have a responsibility to take the Great Commission to them. And then our sphere of influence continues to go outward, local church, friends, family, extended family, and it moves out into our country, the nation in which we live, and then also the entire world. There, That is the end. That is the end. And as much as God gives you favor and the ability, you want to see how far you can go while never neglecting your infrastructure, never neglecting yourself, if you're married, your spouse, your family, your friends, your local church, but you always want to be aggressive with the message of Christ. Therefore, as far as that goes, you want to influence your country with the message of Christ. And that's where I want to talk. That's what I want to talk about. And that's why I titled the podcast, How a Great Nation Falls, because the Bible teaches that those who forget God will not last. Now, whether we're talking about a nation or an individual, both things are true. It is evident. Uh, that the person who walks away from the Lord or the nation that walks away from the Lord, they will fall. They will. Uh, the stronger word, the Bible word, these are not my words, but the Bible word is the word perish. In Job 8.13, it says, Such are the paths of all who forget God. The hope of the godless shall perish. This should motivate us to change our lives to help influence those around us and to influence our country and our world because 
There are individuals that make up our countries and make up the world upon which we live, and we don't want them to perish. We want them to flourish. We want them to be like trees planted by rivers of water. We want them to be standing strong, influenced by God, and empowered by God. But the Bible does teach that those who forget God will perish, and the truth that that we're talking about here is God's rulership and sovereignty over all creation. In fact, Isaiah 40, verse 22, the chapter of Isaiah 40 is one of my favorite chapters in all the Bible. I love this chapter, and if you do have time, please read it. But here's verse 22. It is God who sits on the circle of the earth, and all of the inhabitants are like grasshoppers. A wonderful word picture to the reality of this worldview that God's rulership is real, it is active, and it's unassailable. Now, you're believing in it or rejecting in it, in this sense, it doesn't matter. It doesn't alter the truth. It's real whether you accept it or not. Now, for Christians, it is a strong call to action uh, to be proactively and compassionately aggressive in taking the practical message of Jesus Christ to all nations, whether it is a nation or whether it is an individual. We see this idea in Jonah chapter 3, verse number 1, where Jonah eventually, it took him three chapters, turned around and, and hightailed it toward Nineveh after he took a little detour to Tarshish. And he called the nation of Nineveh to repentance. God told him to do this, calling a nation to repentance so that they would submit themselves to God's sovereignty, to his rulership. And then in Matthew 19, we have another individual, a rich young ruler. Now, he did not respond like the Ninevites. The Ninevites repented and turned to God. The rich young ruler, when Christ was talking to him, chose to go his own way because as the text teaches that he had many possessions that he was not willing to give up. Now, there's a there's an instructive point here. Nona, uh, Nona, Jonah, who was rebelling against God, went and preached, and the, the country repented. Jesus Christ, the perfect one, was witnessing, and the man did not uh, was not converted. And I think that is instructive for those of you who think that you have to be a certain way before you can tell the message of Christ to anyone. Not so. Uh, your job is to be obedient to Christ, not to be perfect. We're not going to be perfect in this life. And it is instructive to me that Jesus can evangelize and this young man does not get saved. And this contrary, backsliding Jonah uh, can half a second after he repents, preached to a country, and, and they are converted. And so it doesn't matter if we're talking to a country or talking to an individual. We need to be telling people about the message of Christ because here's, here's the overarching truth. Every knee will bow to the Lord. We all will eventually, whether in this life or the life to come, we will bow a knee to God. And this is what Paul said in Philippians 2. God has highly exalted Jesus and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now, the integrity of this perspective, this worldview, this bow the knee 
to God worldview stands on the legitimacy of God's word? Here's the question that you really have to answer. It's one of the most important questions that you will answer as long as you live. This is the confrontational question that I ran into when I was searching out this God thing in 1984. I finally came to this spot, to this question, to these four words. Is the Bible true? One of the most important questions you'll ever answer, because if you say the Bible is not true, then you go eat, drink, and be merry, because tomorrow you die. Nothing really matters. If you say the Bible is true, then you have some things that you need to interact with, because the Bible is a hard book. The Bible is a confrontational book. The Bible is a transformative book. Now, at the other end of that complexity, as you go through the complexity, go through the hardness of the Bible, there is a peace that passes all understanding. But what we have here are basically two groups. And I know I'm making a generalization here, and so give me that liberty to do that. As I said earlier, there are Christians and non-Christians on both sides of this, of this fence that splits us right down the middle. But basically the two groups, there's one group, by and large, are wanting to adhere to the teachings of Scripture as far as a nation is concerned, and there's another group that, that doesn't. And so the question, again, the question that we have to answer is, is the Bible true? Now, the way that you adhere to the Bible, the most important way that you will ever adhere to the Bible is by being regenerated. The Bible teaches in Romans 10 that faith comes by hearing, and hearing comes by the Word of God. But if you disbelieve and discredit God's Word, you will not come to faith in God. Therefore, you will not be able to follow God, which is why we want to be great commissional Christians. We want to take the message of Christ to every individual, to every nation around the world, so they have an opportunity to believe Christ. Now, ultimately, we know that God is the one that regenerates. We do not save people. As I tell my students in our Mastermind program, we don't change people either. Whether it's a salvific sense or a progressive sanctification sense, God is the one that converts. He's the one that brings change into people's lives. But here's the big idea. Your starting point will determine your course of life. And if you began by believing that the Bible is true, that's going to set a course for your life that's going to take you in a unique and very clear direction. If you believe that the Bible is not true, that's going to set a, a different and an antithetical course. It's what we call a watershed issue, a watershed at the top of the mountain. When the water is released, it will either go left or right, and the two shall never meet. And so, depending on where you land on this issue, I believe the Bible, I want to pattern my life after it, or I reject the Bible, and I want to pattern my life after rejecting the Bible worldview. It will send you in two different directions. Now, here's the thing. Just because you reject the Bible, it doesn't mean that you're going to stop worshiping. It doesn't mean that you're not going to have a worldview. You're going to have a worldview, and you will worship something. If a person chooses not to believe God, it does not alter their need to worship something because God made us worshipers. We are wired to worship. We need something or we need someone outside of ourselves to trust, to embrace, and to follow. And so if you have a Bible rejector, a God rejector, or a Christian, I'm not going to be a Christian rejector, 
If you have that kind of person, it doesn't remove the need for them to have something outside of themselves to worship. And therefore, that's how you get two primary groups. The Christian believes that he needs or she needs something out there to worship, to follow, to submit to. Well, we choose God Almighty to do that. The Christ rejecter, they may not put it in these words, but the truth is they are bowing down to agendas, to passions, to systems of belief. And so we have two core systems of belief, and that becomes a, a systemic part of our worship structure. Now, what happens is eventually these belief systems become so crucial. They become so crucial to the Christian and to the non-Christian. Let me go back and restate what I've said twice already. I'm dividing these two groups into Christian and non-Christian for the sake of this podcast, being well aware that there are Christians and non-Christians in both groups. But I I need some way of dividing. Uh, Maybe I could say left or right. Let me say that. And so what we have here are two competing groups, let's say left and right. The group on the right has a belief system that's crucial to them, and the group on the left has a belief system, agendas, passions that are crucial to them. Now, when either one of these groups feel a perceived attack from the other group, then they mount up a defense, and that's what we are experiencing in our culture today. Now, what you end up with, are two, generally speaking, competing belief systems that could that can no longer coexist. Because the thought is, is that if you believe what you believe, you will try to stamp out what I believe. Now, at some level, that is true. The, the Christians or, or those on the right believe strongly in what they believe, and they want their agendas to be the dominant agenda, which means there's going to be possibly a cessation of the other group's agenda, and then the group on the left. Well, they believe what they believe, and and we Christians do feel the uh, cessation and and the stricture, the reducing, the reduction of what we believe. And so from this juncture, each group begins to strategize how to make their belief system the dominating worldview in the culture. Boom. Now we are battling each other. Now currently in our country, it appears that those who oppose God, the ones on the left, are winning the cultural scrimmage. I think to some degree that is true. And here's really the point that I want you to understand from this podcast That group, the group on the left, they have learned that the way to win is by legislating their beliefs into the cultural mainstream. Listen to what I'm saying here. They have learned that the way to win this cultural battle is through legislating their beliefs into the cultural mainstream. By lobbying the government to mandate laws to support their belief system, they leverage the government to persecute those who reject their views. And you more than likely have experienced this persecution because there are are laws that are enacted today that have never been enacted before. And because of these new laws, your rights and the things that you believe are, are becoming under, coming under greater scrutiny and even persecution. And there's a lot of Christian people who have experienced extreme persecution because of their belief systems. Let me give you two ways 
out of thousands of ways that people have legislated their belief system uh, as a method, as a strategy, a primary strategy, by the way, to win this war within our country. One, both of them happened right, at 19, right in 1973, right, right in that time. The first one w- was a switch from the DSM-3 to the DSM-4. The DSM, the DSM is the Diagnostic Statistical Manual, number three, then number four. Now we have number five. And what that is, that is the culture psychology book. That is the book that tells you what's right and what's wrong with people, basically. It is their Bible. We have a Bible that tells you what's right and what's wrong with people. Well, they have their own Bible. Again, these are the two competing worldviews. And so in the DSM-3, it said that homosexuality was a disorder. Well, the gay lobby began to push their political agenda, and they persuaded those who vote to make to make changes in the DSM, that when the DSM-4 came out, homosexuality was no longer a disorder. Homosexuality became a sexual orientation, and it was that subtle shift in 1973. Well, something else happened in 1973 as well. Roe v. Wade. That's through legislation. It became uh, acceptable to kill babies in the womb. Those are just two illustrations of many that have happened over the past decades where they have learned that the way to win this battle is through legislating their beliefs. Now, without a revival from the Christian side, the incrementalization of the predominant culture's belief system will eventually become the dominant thought and practice of the society. And sadly, the Christians, by and large, have a stay-away attitude regarding politics. Unwittingly, they ceded the government's turf to the liberal progressive activists, and those people took it gladly. The the anti-Bible activists intuitively knew how to accomplish the enculturation of their doctrines. But over the past couple of years, things have been shifting because of the new political administration in America, and these activists feel like there are losses that are mountain, uh, mounting on their side, which explains why there's such a visceral and hostile reaction to the current government's administration. And so what have they done? They have amped up their assault on the administration. And the primary means in which they are fighting this battle is through social media, as well as television and movies, and of course the educational system, which they have controlled for many years. Once they can reclaim the government, they will be quote-unquote happy because they will own the primary lever that steers a country down the path of rejecting God. And they will continue to legislate their belief system until the followers of God bow down to these immoral idols, or we will suffer the consequences. Now, the followers of God will have to do more than complain about the societal ills or preach against the moral decay of our country. The two main reactions when Christians lose conservative or cultural ground We must mobilize practically. We must learn from the playbook. Here's some irony here. We must learn from the playbook of the combatants. The adversary doesn't care. They don't care if we preach from our pulpits into the echo chamber of our congregations. Preaching to the choir against the woes of a nation becomes a form of public grumbling if there's not a practical plan to confront the encroachments of those who are tearing away 
at the moral fabric of our country. And then there are others who sentimentalize how this country is not my home. I'm just a pilgrim and a stranger passing through. This type of passivity flies in the face of the Great Commission, which is an active call to action to go and make disciples of the nations. It would behoove the Christian world to rethink how to make disciples because those on the other side who despise God and his followers, they have a strategic approach to making their disciples and we can learn from them. And then there are those who say God will win in the end. Pass me another bumper sticker, please. That is a form of spiritual passivity, too, that dismisses our missional calling to convert others to Christ. Yes, 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 God will win in the end. But don't dismiss the process before the end. We have a responsibility as we wait for Christ's future rulership to come. Your response must be more than, God is in control, which can turn us into a holy huddles as the cultural bombs drop all around us. Each of us has to ask God how we can individually and uniquely respond to the cultural decay of our country. Each one of us has a God-given missional gift and an opportunity. We're called to go and make a great commission difference within our sphere of influence. Our current problems and your response to them are of generational proportions. What can you do? How are you supposed to respond to the cultural demise of your world wherever you live? In what ways can you practice the Great Commission in your community? If you would like to chat about this, please come to our website and let's talk. Your Daily Drive is a production of rickthomas.net, a global community that is seeking to live more productive and inspiring lives. If you'd like to learn more about our community, please go to rickthomas.net. RickThomas.net.